This is the Significant Man Recharge Show. I'm your host, Warren Peterson. We're Christian men who talk about the important topics that matter in life. We're men who live in this world, but are not of this world. You know your life can be busy, noisy, and chaotic. This is the show for you to get renewed, restored, and to recharge. So let's get started. I have a different show for you all this week. Today's going to be a shorter episode, as it's just me going solo. No guests here this week of Christmas. And I'm going to share a different kind of Christmas story with you. Now, when you think of Christmas, odds are that you'll have the typical thoughts and images come to mind. Christmas trees, gifts, wrapping paper, classic movies, including Die Hard, lights and ornaments, decorations, and all of that. And when you think of Christmas from a Christian viewpoint, odds are that you'll have the typical thoughts and images there as well. Jesus, God, the manger, angels, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, carols, and all of that. What you probably don't think of when it comes to Christmas, at least not at first, is violence, chaos, and war. But that's ultimately an important aspect of what the Christmas story is. Christmas is a part of a long and violent war story. It's the war story to end all war stories. So while we have the beautiful and amazing birth of baby Jesus, a birth that's anticipated and welcomed on earth and in heaven, we also have the turning point in this war between good and evil, between life and death. This is when everything changed. Everything. The angels were not only celebrating the birth of Jesus, but they were rejoicing at this changing of the tides and the ultimate fight that was taking place. Before we dig deeper into this idea, let's start at the beginning of the Bible. Yet we're going to go back to book number one. In Genesis, we start with the account of God's creation. God creates the universe, including the creation of man and woman, Adam and Eve. But the story goes sideways by the time we hit chapter three. In chapter three, sin enters our human earth. Satan and sin entering the world is the opening salvo in this war. It's the first shot fired. And while God didn't fire that first shot, he most definitely is the one who's going to end and win this war. This is made crystal clear later in the Bible, in the book of Romans in 1620, which reads, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Satan will be crushed. Death will be defeated. And while we might want a specific timeline for our own kind of selfish reasons, that's not God's point. His point is to let us know that Satan will be crushed. The war will be won. Now back to this part of the war I'm talking about today. What was the first sound that was made in this part of the story, this part of the conflict? It wasn't the sounds of armies fighting or soldiers getting their swords and helmets and armor on. It wasn't the rush of thousands of angels descending to earth. No, none of that. Instead, the sound made in this part of the war was the sweet cry of an innocent little baby boy. Our human expectations were turned upside down yet again. And then we come to the manger. Jesus is born. In the various Christmas displays that you see, like the manger at church or in your home, you have the small baby at the center. Mary and Joseph are there, and as the song says, all is calm and all is bright. Oh, but as we're unpacking here, that's not the full picture. All was not calm. While the miraculous birth of Christ was happening, King Herod was putting together his forces to kill countless children, to eliminate any who would threaten his rule. Even Joseph and Mary had to quickly flee out of the area with their new little family as they were under threat for their lives. 
Mothers and fathers all over the land were in indescribable pain as their children were killed. We learn about this in Matthew 2, 13 through 18. It says, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through his prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. All was not calm. All was not bright. This was war. Jesus was not born into a world of comfort, a world of calm, or a world where he was treated like royalty. Rather, he was born in a stable, wrapped in cloth in a manger. This baby, to become the king of kings, was born during a time of violence, and he was hunted from the moment he was born. I know this can be heavy, especially for a Christmas message, when the prevailing idea is to talk only of hope and peace. But as I mentioned up front, my intention here is to give you a different perspective. One that's not meant to lead to sadness or being upset at what was going on back then, but rather for you to celebrate and appreciate the birth of Christ even more today. People often confuse why Jesus was born, why he came to earth at all. He didn't come just to be a teacher of the truth and to share some empowering stories. He came for a much more important mission, one we can sometimes have a hard time appreciating. And that's also a somber part of this conversation. We recognize that when Jesus was born, the world was not a peaceful place, just as it's not a peaceful place today. And as we've been talking about the year Jesus was born, there was violence, despair, fighting, and it was troubled times, again, just like today. But yet this small and innocent baby was here to bring peace into the sinful world and sinful people. His birth was the turn of the tide in the war. In Isaiah 9, 6, of the names written for Jesus is Prince of Peace. And the original Hebrew word used there for peace is actually shalom. And shalom means more than just being without strife or conflict of some kind, which is what we often mean when we use the word peace. Shalom is a more encompassing word. It means wholeness, completeness, soundness, and contentment. In other words, Jesus was not born to bring a time without conflict. Rather, he was born to bring a wholeness, a completeness, and to restore the relationship between God and his people, and to provide a level of contentment the world can never offer. This means that the peace Jesus brought for everyone is not exactly the kind of peace we often might think of when we consider the word peace. We hear the Christmas song and lines about peace on earth, but it isn't the peace we may have been expecting. We watch the news and we see another tragedy take place, another shooting, a bomb explodes, another natural disaster happens, the violence continues. Where exactly is the peace on earth? If Jesus is going to bring peace to everyone, why don't we see that in our news feeds? The answer is that many mistake the kind of peace that Jesus brought. This world is a fallen world. It's a world that's violent, sinful, and corrupt. Mankind sinning has thrown this world into chaos, and it's into this world of chaos that Jesus was born. 
In Micah 5, 5, we read, and he will be the source of peace. It is Jesus himself who's the source of peace. Not that Jesus was born to stop all tragedies or conflicts from taking place. Jesus would become the source of peace as he provided salvation for all men and women who seek him. This means that while Jesus brought peace for mankind in typical fashion for him, it wasn't at all the way that people were expecting. And too often we fall back into those same expectations. Jesus speaks towards this in Matthew 10, verse 34, when he says, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Not your typical verse for Christmas, but Jesus couldn't be more clear. In his first visit, he didn't come to bring peace to earth the way we were expecting it. And he speaks in the language of war. And when he was getting ready to leave earth for his first visit, he shared something that's a favorite verse of mine. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Our part is to recognize what kind of peace that is. And remember, it's not the absence of trouble kind. It's not a peace that the world gives. It's an eternal and everlasting peace found only through him. Now, when Jesus comes for his second visit, things are going to be quite different then. During that visit, that'll be a final peace and a final rest between the world and God. That peace will be the one that ends our conflicts and struggles. That peace is when we'll be fully united with Christ, dwelling in his presence. But for today, we see peace in the hope that Christ offers and in living the way that he's called us to live. Not in the lack of conflict but rather in the content knowledge that he's the king and we have eternity with our king to look forward to. When we have peace with God, we have a type of peace and comfort even amid the violence and the turmoil and the chaos of the world because we know that the Prince of Peace rules our lives and everyone. Our hearts do not need to be troubled for he is our king. And because of what this king has and will accomplish, we celebrate his birth. Sadly, around the world, there are millions, perhaps billions of people who celebrate Christmas without knowing who Jesus was or why he was born. His birth changed the course of human history, even for those who don't believe in him. His birth changed the future of mankind, even for those who have never heard his name. During the Christmas season, many will have a simple acknowledgement of Jesus. Others might say the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season, but they do so without really knowing why he came. With our hindsight, we know that Jesus was born, lived 33 years, was crucified, died, and rose from the grave. But why was he born in the first place? Why was it his destiny to enter this sin-filled, sick, and hurting world at all? For this question, we're going to look in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 10, 5, 7, we read, That is why, when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings but you have given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it's written about me in the scriptures. On that first Christmas Eve, the earth was unaware of what was about to happen, oblivious to what was coming, but heaven wasn't. The angels were waiting in anticipation, for they could see what was happening. Christ knew his body would be given and that he would become the final sacrifice. They could see that this violent war between life and death 
was about to take an unexpected turn. There are lots of secondary reasons why Jesus was born. He came to teach. He came to heal. He came to show love. He came to set an example. But as great as those are, they're all secondary reasons. There's one primary reason that Jesus was born, and it's a sobering one. Jesus was born to pay the price for our sins and to die. The reason that Bethlehem happened was so the cross could happen. He was born a baby so that he could die a man. That tiny baby, swaddled in cloth, was born to die 33 years later. From the Old Testament to the New, it's written that the penalty for sin is death. Because of the justice of God, sin is punished by death. And if I am the one who's going to bear my own punishment when I die, I will die fully, physically, spiritually, and eternally, because I cannot live a sinless life. But because of his love for you, he created an alternative. He loved you so much that he sent his own son as a substitute to die and accept your punishment so that you may live with him in heaven. In Hebrews 2 verse 9, we see that because he suffered death for us, Jesus was temporarily given a position lower than the angels. This tells us that when Jesus died, his death was not an easy and gentle passing from this world. Rather, it was agony and suffering on the cross. He suffered in his death. And only Jesus was capable of doing this on our behalf. An angel couldn't do it. It was only Jesus who could be our substitute. Continuing in verse 9 and 10, we read, Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. Jesus didn't come because you or I asked him to, or because we deserved him. Rather, it was by God's grace. God designed it this way. And through the suffering and death of Jesus, he brings us into salvation. We didn't earn salvation. God's grace provides it. We didn't deserve it. God gave it freely to us. God looked at sinful man, saw the inevitable death that man would pay, and through his overwhelming love, he designed an alternative. Finishing in Hebrews 10.10, we read, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. You've been made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. You've been redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus. You've been made holy when you accept Jesus as your Savior, and that holiness cannot be taken away. And Jesus knew this so much that he gave you a new name. In Hebrews 2.12, it says, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. To Jesus, in his words, you are now his brother or sister. So the war started back in Genesis when sin entered the world. Then there was a turning point with the birth of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas time. And then the victory over death itself with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But that's not where the story ends. We began in the first book, and we're ending in the last book. In Revelation is where the story takes its final turn. We know that Jesus is described with many names, including Prince of Peace, like we talked about earlier. The way that Jesus is described as he returns to earth isn't what most people have in mind, though, when they think of the Prince of Peace. Here's how Jesus is described in his return. Then I saw heaven opened, 
and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. We rarely get to see and hear about this side of Jesus. We aren't taught enough about how he stands up to injustice, how he got angry at those who turned the church into a robber's den and drove them out with a weapon that he made himself how he stays true to his purpose through adversity, pain, and challenge, how he battles abuse of authority, how he confronts oppression, how he goes against established religion, or how he made his enemies shake with fear at just his presence. Jesus is a warrior without question. He knew why he was born. He knew why he was going to die. He knows the battle you're facing today, and he knows the war that's taking place right now. So as you celebrate Christmas this year, take some time to stop and think about this. Yes, Christmas is a time to celebrate peace and love and joy. That's without question. But also remember that this celebration is about so much more than we often think of. This is not a feel-good made-for-TV show, but rather it's a punch-to-the-gut war story. Christ was born to die. He was born to be hunted by death. And he was born to defeat death itself. He was born into a world of violence and war to provide the ultimate path of salvation over death. The gift he gave the world can never be wrapped and placed under a tree, and it can never be fully understood, but it's one that we're eternally grateful to have been given, and this is the true reason we celebrate and rejoice at his birth. What Jesus did for you in this war, what he did for you in this violent world and violent story, is your ultimate gift. Receive it with appreciation and love, for it truly changes everything. Have a Merry Christmas, everyone. Hey, before you go, please make sure you subscribe to this show and leave a review. Five stars is, of course, the desired number of stars. So be like all the cool kids and do that. Enjoy the next show, guys. Doo -doo.